Kassat Podcast Network. In episode 11, Paul and Amy discuss verifiability within MI. They explore global measures for behavioral change, including the MICA and MIGHTY, as well as how feedback can help refine your MI practice. For episode resources, contact us, and other information, please visit the Lions and Tigers and Bears MI website at nfartech.org forward slash MI podcast. That's N-F-A-R-T-E-C dot org forward slash MI podcast. and Tigers and Bears, MI, an interactive podcast focused on the evidence-based practice of motivational interviewing, a method of communication that guides toward behavior change while honoring autonomy. I'm Amy Shanahan. And I'm Paul Warren. And we've worked together over the past 10 years. We've been facilitating MI learning collaboratives and providing trainings and coaching sessions focused on the adoption and refinement of MI. We're also members of the Motivational Interviewing Network of Trainers. Join us in this adventure into the forest where we explore and get curious about what lies behind the curtain of MI. Hi, Amy. Hey, Paul. Here we are, episode 11. How do I know I'm doing MI then? Yes. And about verifiability. Mm. What do you think about that topic that we chose this as a specific one for this episode? I really like it because oftentimes, and I think we've talked about this in the past in a, in a prior episode, when you ask people, if they're doing MI, they say, of course. Mm-hmm. So, so people have very, um, I think they have a very broad definition of what doing MI really means. And to me, motivational interviewing is an evidence-based practice and it's a verifiable practice. Mm-hmm. You're, you're either doing it or you're actually not doing it. And I think that the instruments that are available to help people code their practice are really helpful in giving people direction about answering that question. Am I really doing it? Am I not doing it? And if I'm not doing it, what do I need to be doing? And if I am doing it, how well am I doing it? What could I potentially work on? Yeah. I know that I probably fall in that category of people over the years that would raise their hand and say, yeah, I'm doing a little bit of MI. I I was always a little leery to say it confidently. And it took a while and it took getting feedback with a coding instrument Mm -hmm. for me to know what I was doing that would be constituted as MI consistent. And what areas, hmm, 
that I needed to kind of hone in on and pay attention to making a little bit stronger or yeah, more am I consistent? Mm. I'm curious, would it be okay if I asked you a question? Sure. So you said that you were a little bit leery of raising your hand that you were actually doing am I? And mm-hmm. I guess I'm curious because I wonder if other people who also raise their hands have this particular doubt. What what was it that you were sort of unsure or leery about or you know, I think it has to do with this whole concept of verifiability. Just because I think I'm doing MI, I don't know what the rest of the world thinks. <laughs> so no one ever told me I was or wasn't. I made that decision. And it's interesting. I think that there's some writings about that very thing that most of the time our reports are not accurate Mm-hmm. by ourselves, like our mm-hmm. own report that we're doing well, um, usually doesn't match what perhaps the patients say, or, uh, if we got coached and got feedback. Mm-hmm. So it's not because I know that now it's just, there was something that I must've known instinctively, probably because I'm very passionate about supervision and feedback that unless someone gave me feedback that I was doing, am I well, I don't think that I would be so courageous to raise my whole arm. I'd raise half of an arm because mm-hmm. of the lot of things that I hear people say, why I'm using the ors, the open-ended questions, affirmations, reflections, and summaries. Mm-hmm. Of course I'm empathic with people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So, and I, and I know that we've touched on all of these aspects throughout the, um, episodes in the podcast at various times for various reasons. But now to say that I know I'm doing it, I want to be sure that I'm doing it with some level of consistency and, and intentionality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, that's partly why I really appreciate the availability and the development of these instruments, coding instruments, because they they remove that doubt, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure, I mean, and please tell me if you think this is an overstatement, but I'm pretty sure that a lot of folks who, and I'm putting this in air quotes for the radio listener or the Mm -hmm. online listener, uh, a lot of folks who believe they're doing motivational interviewing probably have not had their work actually coded using one of these instruments. Do you think that's an overstatement based on your experience or? No, no, it's not an overstatement based on my experience. And oftentimes when I have used these coding instruments with people, their eyes light up in maybe not a great way, but a, oh, mm, I learn more about the particulars about what I could do to strengthen my practice specific Mm. to MI, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes I experience people taking on motivational interviewing and, and maybe there's something we could do better. And and you've helped me to articulate this. MI is about talking to somebody about change they're ambivalent about. I mean, to me, that's just a simple enough statement because I think then others like me in the past have thought motivational interviewing 
is really just being nice and being kind and empathic and talking to people in a nice way and reflective listening and, you know, some of the oars, but it really has a specificity about it. Mm -hmm. And ultimately that's what these coding instruments are really zeroing in on is Mm -hmm. that, is that specificity in helping the practitioner in a supportive way to really Mm -hmm. look at, oh, this is a potential area for growth. Oh, this is a potential, this is an area of strength because people are bringing strengths to these conversations too. Mm-hmm. I, I think the other reason that I, I really appreciate coding instruments and verifiability is, and I'm, I'm going to speak for myself here, I don't believe I will ever be a master of motivational interviewing. I believe that if I am open to having my work coded, if I'm open to getting feedback from somebody else, I can continue to grow and refine my practice. I don't believe though, that I will ever um, not need to be coded or get feedback Mm -hmm. because I'm a human being talking to other human beings. And I'm, I'm happy you mentioned that because I, I think the same. So I probably still will only raise half of an arm because <laughs> there's always a, a a place for improvement. And we also know that when you don't practice, when you don't get feedback, just like any skill, and mm-hmm. we often uh, compare practicing motivational interviewing to playing an instrument or a sport, that when you stop playing, you lose a little bit. Mm-hmm. And when mm-hmm. you pick it back up again, um, you have to start over. And and truth be told, now this is so funny. I didn't think this was going to happen, but it's happening right here, right now in episode 11. I think in maybe episode one or two, I started talking about playing the saxophone mm-hmm. and the particulars of being in my head about the notes. Now I'm going to use the example in episode 11 to talk about what I just said about you lose the skill. I did. I dusted it off, Paul. I picked up the saxophone, brought it out of the closet, if you will, and put my books up and started to tootle around a bit. Mm -hmm. And some of it came naturally. I knew some of the basic notes and the fingering, Mm -hmm. uh, but there was so much. I had to go back and study my notes and revisit and practicing the blowing into the instrument because the embouchure is important and I lost some of that. So, so when you don't get time to practice and get some feedback around that practice, Mm -hmm. you can drift. Yeah. I've heard, I've, I've heard it referred to as skill drift. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And one of my Coaches, colleagues would say, and he probably has some research around that skill drift. Mm-hmm. And he would always say that, yeah, you you would eventually be doing maybe a version of Amy's MI, but it's not truly um, all the things as you go back to your old comfortable shoes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the other reason that uh, I'm glad we're talking about this is because I I'd, I'd really like to hopefully dispel for people 
because some people have shared with me in trainings that they were coded and they had a horrible experience. And I'd really like to dispel for people that that's not really the purpose of these coding instruments. It's not to show you, yeah. quote unquote, how bad you're doing. It's, it's really an opportunity to take stock to look at what you're doing, to see the strengths that you're bringing to the conversation. And honestly, whenever I've coded anybody's work, I've always been able to find some strengths that they brought to it. Of course. And it didn't mean that there still weren't growth opportunities, but there were definitely strengths. Mm -hmm. So if there's any way to sort of dispel maybe the anxiety or the resistance that folks or normalize the anxiety or resistance that folks might feel around making an audio recording and letting somebody code it with one of these validated instruments. I think the thing that I've really walked away with when I've had my work coded or received feedback about my work is that it helped me to feel more confident that actually there was something I was bringing to that conversation and it gave me greater insight into what I could focus on maybe in the next conversation. Yeah. I have a similar experience and, and talk to people about that when we're practicing without even coding and just getting feedback that it's an opportunity to make something stronger. It's an opportunity to focus in on something. And I know that, in the last couple of years, when you've given me feedback, what well, I was really focusing in on something and needed to, and I remember I was responding more to sustained talk in, in a couple instances. And I thought, you know, it's really a, it must've been a habit that I've leaned into and didn't mm -hmm. even realize that it was there. And without that feedback, I would have mm -hmm. not really been able to focus in on that. Another thing that I think we know a little bit from our conversation with Dr. Rolnick is about being calm and reducing the clever or the clutterness and the cleverness of MI mm -hmm. to if, if I could wave a magic wand for folks, be yourself and not worry about the clutter of all the aspects of motivational interviewing, because it's a lot mm. and just be yourself and have a conversation and start there. If you mm -hmm. chose to have someone give you feedback with one of these coding instruments, because mm -hmm. I think we get stuck and that's, I know that's what I do is like, Oh, am I reflecting enough? Am I mm -hmm. using complex reflections enough? And then I lose sight of what I'm talking to the person about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's really important. I think important to remind myself and maybe anybody who's listening uh, about those three C's, the idea of kind of being regulated or calm, mm -hmm. removing the clutter from your head so you can kind of be present in that moment. And the idea of not trying to be clever. And it's, it's so funny because I think sometimes why people have maybe had a bad experience when their work has been coded is because they start to think like, oh, well, I only did simple reflections. I didn't do any complex ones. So that means I don't know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And, and ultimately that's, I don't think that's the intention of the coding instrument at all. I think it's the way it can be sort of misinterpreted. You know, and n not that I'm 
putting any particular person out <laughs> uh, on the chopping block for this. I've also heard, and I I, I can understand where it comes from. I, I hear I hear practitioners say, "I I don't want to be coded. I didn't like it. I went through this project, and we had to count." how many complex reflections or how many reflections versus questions. And I think there was probably good intention because we do want to practice more complex reflections than simple and more open than closed questions. But what I heard from some of these folks and what I heard from some of these folks is that that level of direction Mm -hmm. in their practice really messed with their minds about, well, I just asked Paul an open question, so I guess I better move into reflections. Oh, now I'm halfway through the conversation. How many reflections have I used yet? All right, whatever Paul says next, I'm going to reflect back. <laughs> Sounds like clutter to me. <laughs> and and it's interesting because I recently heard a conversation where someone invited people to practice and gave them that same direction mm-hmm. of I want you to practice two reflections for every question. Mm-hmm. And for me, that would be hard as a practice, as a practitioner to practice that way, to be that specific about, Oh, I got to worry about using two reflections versus a question and stop myself. Was that a question or was that a reflection? Did my voice go up at the end? And, you know, I'm just stuck in my head mm-hmm. instead of being calm. Mm-hmm. And being there with people mm-hmm. and and let the chips fall where they may. Easier said than done, because I could tell you right now, every time I submit a tape to get feedback, I have a level of nervousness because someone's watching my work mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I want to do a good job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not that I ever expect to be perfect. And mm-hmm. I think for me, I have. I have a level of my own expectation is one reason why I feel nervous. And I've also had examples in my career where people weren't as gifted as others in giving feedback. So it makes me a little nervous about that. And I wonder if it's important to even talk about that. I think it's absolutely important because how the feedback is given. And again, hopefully if somebody is reviewing your work and they're using a coding instrument, hopefully they're going to be able to give you feedback in an am I consistent way Mm. where they're going to be focusing on your strengths. They're going to invite you to talk about your experience. They're going to uh, honor your perspective about what you've heard. And they're able to invite you into a conversation about what you identify as a growth opportunity. I I so much appreciate that you framed this, like letting the chips fall where they may, because if, if we could kind of wipe the bad experience away that maybe people have had with having their work coded and, you know, simply lay out for them, let the chips fall where they may as you're, as you're doing this work, And then get what you can get from what the feedback is with the coding instrument. Right. And And start there even. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And know that you're, you're building something. It's not Mm -hmm. about tearing something down. You're building something. 
And I know for me, and I know for folks that I've worked with and given them feedback, over time, it gets more and more comfortable. And some even look forward to the opportunity Mm -hmm. to, to get it, to get that feedback. You know, I get a lot of this, and I wonder if you do as well. How would you handle this situation or how would you respond to this? And it's not easy to give you feedback on that or how, how would you have handled it differently? Cause I did it this way and it didn't go, go too well. I mean, you could probably have a conversation about, about it. Mm. It's just having this, the pieces of the coding instrument that really speaks to the, not just the micro skills of the oars, also the responding to change talk, mm-hmm. the aspects of the spirit mm-hmm. that, you used a lot of really nice complex reflections. And I'm wondering what was going on at the time when you were sharing some of your ideas with the person, right? So inviting the person in and like you said, I love that you said that use and and hopefully an MI style to give that feedback and ask for it because mm-hmm. I've done that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a coach in my midst who doesn't <laughs> always uh, because he wants to just cut to the chase. This is, mm. this is where you can improve. And I ask for it. So ask for it. I'm going to ask directly now for, am I consistent feedback? Mm. It, if you were to do that with somebody that had coded your work mm-hmm. and they said to you, well, Tell me a little bit about what you mean by MI consistent feedback. What would you tell them? Uh, That I would want it to be collaborative, that I want to have some input as to what I think my strengths were. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ask me what I think my opportunities for growth are, because I probably, if we believe that the person has it within them, I, I could tell you probably my growth opportunities. And I actually think, you did it that way, Paul. When you gave me feedback, you asked me first. And I did half of the work for you in a way because <laughs> I knew I knew the answers, right? I knew where I could have done better. Mm-hmm. Um, I think having some empathy and understanding where the people are at. So for me, I'm a little nervous. Uh, some people like feedback right between the eyes. Mm-hmm. I like it a little softer mm-hmm. <laughs> between the eyes and direct. Yes. And, and nicely direct. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be, that's not the right way to do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's this could be stronger when, or mm-hmm. my impression of where you can be stronger in the partnering is, mm-hmm. or why I ranked it this number is because I heard this Right. So there's this collaborative back and forth conversation. What do you think? That was a really good question. Yeah. You know, the thing that really has come to me as I was listening to you describe that was, and I guess this goes along with uh, effective feedback, is Mm -hmm. that it's specific. Mm -hmm. You know, you gave the great example of like somebody saying, to the person whose tape they coded, uh, you know, you did a lot of excellent complex, complex reflections. And here's an example of one. 
so that you can really point out to the person, this is what you specifically did that was very effective. And yes, the, the instrument is counting that, quote unquote, as a complex reflection, but that doesn't mean in your notes that you give feedback on that you can't be specific and elaborate on an example so people know kind of what they're doing. Right, right. And I, I think the big thing is doing the illicit provide illicit. Why not? We have that tool in our toolbox. When we're giving people feedback, ask them first. What did you like about what you did? What did you see that was good? Mm-hmm. What did you feel good about? What do you, what do you think um, you might've done differently? What do you think was missing? Any series of questions to elicit from them what they think. And then you could lean in. If it's okay, I'm gonna give you some of my observations about what I heard and what I saw wait for them to say, okay, because that's what we're here for, right? And still ask permission. Mm -hmm. And then maybe pick out some things that they didn't already say to give them a a piece of information or verify what they already said. And then Mm -hmm. ask them what they think about it. What Mm -hmm. do you think about that? Mm -hmm. I mean, I do have an example where I received not so consistently MI feedback Mm -hmm. And I ended up questioning the people who were giving me the feedback. I was questioning myself, of course. Um, and I had to unfortunately weed through that to find the the pearls. Because I, I love feedback. I think feedback is so powerful and important. And I hope that we as practitioners don't make the person we're giving feedback uh they have to work for figuring out what's meaningful and not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And certainly being specific, being MI consistent, mm-hmm. inviting their input are ways to sort of be more direct about the conversation. Mm-hmm. And there's another nuance to that too, is asking the practitioner if there was a particular point where the person they were listening to responded to very well or a time when they didn't, or you noticed, you know, maybe a little wrestle versus a dance, ask them to, to pick that out. Mm -hmm. I think for me, it trains me as a practitioner to pay attention to those things in future, you know, exchanges with people. Of course, of course, you know, we've, We've alluded to it several times in this conversation already Mm -hmm. um, to various instruments Mm -hmm. that can be, you know, coding instruments that can be used. And I'm wondering if now might be a good time to kind of transition into maybe giving an overview of just a couple of those instruments, because there are many uh, that would give folks who maybe aren't as familiar with these instruments uh, something that they could look into and consider uh, possibly if it's just something they'd like to find out more about. Yeah, that would be a great idea. And I, and we can also point people in to the direction of finding the list of others. Cause we, there's a, there's a big list 
right? Mm-hmm. A decent size list, I should say. Mm-hmm. And we could give them that resource. Sure. To take a look. Absolutely. So would you like to start by talking about the MICA or would you like me to start by talking about the Mighty? How would you like to begin? I'll go ahead and start with the MICA. You said that first and people are probably asking, what does that mean? Because MICA is an old acronym that we use in addiction back in the day. Yes. (laughs) Which I, it's not a a, a very nice, a good acronym anymore. No. Um, uh, we don't use it Mike, anymore. We don't use it anymore, but m- some people might be thinking that's what we're talking about. Yeah. So the, the MICA is the motivational interviewing competency assessment. And to, to basically summarize what I like about the instrument and not that that's what we have to necessarily say we like or don't like about the instruments, but what I like about it is it starts off with that narrative that we were just alluding to. What what did you like? What were the missed opportunities? So there's a section right off the bat in the instrument, which is uh, a one pager with um, a one page instrument with nice instructions. And then after that, it, there's a Likert scale of one to five for all, all of the areas. So at first then measures what we did with regards to strategically responding to sustained talk. So you get a Likert scale, uh, one to five, one is fundamentally inconsistent and five is proficient. So off the bat for me, it's like, all right, I don't expect to get any fives. (laughs) Although that would be nice to get some, right? But it just seems so expertise. (laughs) And so the, the, these scores that you first um, get feedback on are strategy scores around change talk. So strategically responding to sustained talk and then to change talk. So you mm-hmm. get that score. And then the rest of the scores, there's five areas that really focus on the areas within the spirit. Mm. Same Likert scale, same anchor points, fundamentally inconsistent to proficient MI is um, supporting autonomy, the guiding aspects, right? So you wouldn't be following and you wouldn't be directing, you'd be guiding, expressing empathy, partnering and evoking. So those are the five areas that of intention around the spirit aspects. And then the micro skills are coded a little bit differently than what we'll hear from you in the mighty. In the, in the MICA, you just check mark how many reflections and how many questions. You don't qualify whether it's complex, simple, or open or closed. You just you just count the reflections versus questions and you um, put together a reflection to question ratio. So in in the end, you get a, a ratio on your reflections to questions and you get a total MI score average of those Likert scales. So what's nice about it, again, to, is you start off with the narrative, what went well, where were the missed opportunities? And I would hope that those things really complement then the scores that you'd see on the strategy scores of talking about change talk or softening sustained talk and the intention scores. And then uh, hopefully your coach would give you feedback about what these scores mean in the middle, right? So, (laughs) well, why did you give me a three? So a three could mean emerging efforts, you know, 
so you could give them the the language around what those scores mean in more mm -hmm. specificity. Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts or questions about the MICA? I, I know I went through quite a few things. So is there, are there points that I could clarify? No, I think, I think that was a really comprehensive overview and it, it clearly, and again, I'm a, I'm a little bit familiar with the MICA because you and I have discussed it and actually used it together. Uh, I'm more familiar with the mighty, but, it, and, and it's interesting as you were talking about the MICA, it made me really see that there's certainly overlap between mm. these two instruments, because again, we're looking at sort of the, uh, the core essence of the practice of motivational interviewing. So of course there would be overlap. The method is, is different, but there is certainly overlap. Yeah. And I, I wonder, well, let's hear what you have to say about the mighty. Sure. And maybe we could illuminate what, and I know we talked about the mighty in a previous episode, but this will have an essence of hearing what it sounds like comparatively speaking to the mica as an, another example. Hmm. And, and I'm, I'm pretty sure our listeners will also be able to kind of note the overlaps in some way themselves. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the mighty is the motivational interviewing treatment integrity coding instrument. And it's mm -hmm. 4.2.1. That's the version of the mighty that's being used currently. And uh, what I'd like to say off the bat in regard to this particular instrument is that there is an excellent uh, coding manual available. Mm. And I believe there is one for the MICA as well. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, there's an excellent coding manual available for the mighty. And if, if you're just curious about uh, instruments, you have no intention whatsoever of ever having your work coded. But if you're ever curious about instruments and how instruments are looking specifically at the practice of motivational interviewing, I, I highly recommend the MICA coding manual because it's very understandable and it gives, I think, a wonderful insightful view of the practice of motivational interviewing in a really comprehensive yet concise way. Mm -hmm. I think a couple of things to keep in mind about the mighty is that it was developed to originally to test treatment fidelity for clinical trials. And the other purpose of it, and again, I think this is a little nearer and dearer maybe to our hearts, uh, at least the way I've used it, is that it's also an extraordinary way to provide structured, formal feedback about the way to improve your MI practice in non-research settings. So it can be an extraordinary tool in order to really reflect on what it is you're doing and identifying those strengths and also those growth opportunities. So just to, just to walk through sort of the structure of, and this is going to sound very familiar, I think, to what Amy mm -hmm. was just saying about the mica, but there are basically two major components to the mighty. 
One are what are called the global ratings. And the next is what are called the behavior counts. The global ratings basically speak to the idea of cultivating change talk, softening sustained talk, partnership, and empathy. And I think the thing to keep in mind about these global measures, and I I recently, in preparation for this conversation, was looking over the manual. Again, I enjoy reading it, actually. Uh, and, And the global measures are really to be thought of as the overall gestalt of the whole conversation. So when you're looking at each of these particular areas, you're looking at the overall conversation and you're giving it a global rating. Sometimes it's suggested for folks who are beginning to use the mighty that they take two passes at the recording where they listen to it once and they then give the global ratings and then they listen to it again and they do the behavior counts. Once you're familiar with the mighty, you probably don't need to do the two passes, but it can be helpful if if it's something new to you to do that. The behavior counts are looking at specific behaviors that are demonstrated in the conversation. Now, before I name those behaviors, I want to just underline that the coding manual is very thorough in that it defines and gives concrete examples of what each of these behaviors actually are. So you will get definitions and examples. And it also helps you to figure out because if something is not clear, you can actually, there are decision trees that are offered in the manual that can really clarify for you whether you should be coding it one thing or another. Now, for this conversation, I'm not going to get into the weeds of that, but it is something that is available and part of the manual and essential to being able to code in a consistent way. So let me name those behaviors. Giving information, persuade, persuade with permission, question, simple reflection, complex reflection, affirm, seeking collaboration, emphasizing autonomy, and confront. Now, the greater balance of those particular behaviors that you're counting, and again, you're making a tick mark on the one-page form every time you hear giving information or any of the others, The greater balance, except for two of these behaviors, are am I consistent behaviors. Two of them are am I inconsistent behaviors. And the two am I inconsistent behaviors are persuade and confront. Persuade with permission is an am I consistent behavior. And again, the manual very clearly and specifically breaks down the specific definitions of these particular behaviors and provides examples. The last thing I'll say about it before I ask for Amy's comment is that once the behaviors are counted, once the global ratings are done, there is a a very specific system of calculating 
what the practitioner's score is. And one of the things, as Amy mentioned in the MICA, is the question to reflection ratio. And again, there are other things that are scored as well, and the manual breaks down how to do that. So I'm going to pause there and just thoughts, reactions, Amy? I think the things that stood out to me are the differences that I mentioned that you do code simple versus complex reflections and the notion of those two inconsistent behaviors are not seen in the MICA. At the same time, you have the opportunity, if you hear that when you're using the MICA, to give people feedback. That would be the in the opportunities box. Where can you where can you strengthen that? Yeah. And so I paid attention to the difference between that. And I like the notion of it it is predominantly used in research and can be used for just skill practice. So it's not unique to just research. Mm. I've used another instrument uh, in a in work that I was doing that I realized when I was using that instrument, as did the folks that I was working with, that because of where our learners were, that instrument was too precise. Mm. And the mighty? No, not or, the mighty. A different, it, it, oh, a, a, different, different a different instrument. And the Understood. thing. Yeah. And the thing I like so much about the mighty is that it can be used for someone who's new to motivational interviewing, as well as to the very seasoned practitioner. And I, I just find that being able to give people specific and concrete feedback on their strengths, as well as their growth opportunities, really helps build people's confidence. Mm-hmm. That's right. I remember using the mighty when I was coaching a group of people and to the conversation around persuasion and persuade with permission. I was, of course, at the same time, getting my own coaching and feedback about my own skills and my use of coaching with the mighty. Right. So th- there's a whole nuance of Am I, am I getting this right too? Am I hearing the right thing? Am I giving this person appropriate feedback? And what was really powerful was that the, the consistent style of asking the practitioners, what did they see? What did they like about what they did? This, this one particular person, uh, and we may have talked about this in earlier episodes, she really noticed that she has this strong desire to want to fill in the blanks for people. And it came across as being persuasive and it, and just to guide that conversation with her and her choosing what she was going to practice on at what time she wasn't ready in the beginning to focus on that particular piece. Mm -hmm. And, and when she was ready, she really, she really hooked into that realizing that it connected to the aspects of the spirit. Mm-hmm. So she was, she was thinking about practicing the skills and guiding her in a way so that she still felt empowered to continue on her path. It was her timing of when she noticed that my goodness, time and time again, this persuasion thing pops up, Mm -hmm. whether or not I ask permission or not, 
I have this desire as a practitioner to persuade people to make their lives better. And she connected it to the autonomy piece and the evocation part of the spirit that she was not practicing as strongly. Mm. So it just wraps up the power, how powerful it could be to use feedback in an MI consistent way Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. model the guiding aspects of coaching someone. Yeah. And also meeting them where they're at and helping them to move through their sort of own developmental process. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I really took away from what you were saying about that specific example is that, again, the beauty of the instrument, the mighty in particular, is that, you know, persuade which again is defined in the manual very clearly, uh, is one of the behaviors that's counted. And that impacts the other, the global measures, the partnership and the empathy part of it. So the the interrelatedness of sort of the overall global gestalt of the conversation and the relation to the behavioral counts, uh, there's there's a clear connection there, and they influence each other. So, right. yeah. So uh, again, I, I think that helping, you know, it. I remember when I was being trained to use the mighty, that the trainer said, you know. Th- the mighty is a blunt instrument. It's not meant mm. to be a scalpel. It's meant to be a blunt instrument to help people to really look at their overall in these four particular areas and what it is they're doing. And again, the decision trees really give guidance about how to make that a meaningful coding situation so that people really understand the difference between the different behaviors that are coded. I think for me, in summary of comparing the the mighty versus the mica, not that they're very, very contrasting, but the contrast for me is the, the mica simplifies by not having the MI inconsistent pieces in there mm-hmm. um, and not cluttering with our, our heads between simple versus complex reflections for people to be concerned about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Likert scale on the five different components really gives you a measure with the specificity of why it's, you know, not a lower number or a higher number. You can mm-hmm. really think about yeah. how can I be more consistent in that area? Mm-hmm. It, it's interesting that you say that because that's one of the other areas of overlap between the two instruments is that the global measures also use a one to five Likert scale. And as the manual points out that pretty much we want to assume that everybody is at three, three, <laughs> and then we move up or down the scale based on everything else that's going on Mm -hmm. in the conversation. And again, the manual is very specific about what a one means and everything in between that and a five. Mm -hmm. And, and again, it's very helpful guidance. Again, I have found that simply reading the manual has helped me think more specifically about the conversations that I get to have. Nice. I usually use it as a reference guide. 
probably after having used it might benefit from reading it. Things will be illuminated more because I remember learning it at first and thinking, Oh my goodness, just like learning. Am I, there's so much, <laughs> there's so much in my head about, is it right? Is it persuasion? Is it, what's the difference between this and giving information and persuasion? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you know I'm not trying to persuade somebody if I'm giving them information? <laughs> like I, I kept asking lots of questions. <laughs> Which are positive. Questions are good. <laughs> it's a great way to learn. And, and as we mentioned, you know, the mighty and the mica aren't the only instruments that are used. There, there are other assessment and coding instruments that listeners can find on motivationalinterviewing.org and they'll find that list on the homepage, I believe, mm-hmm. right? Even if they're not members of, of the Mint, I believe they can see the assessment codes. I'm, I think yeah. so. I mean, I know they can also get it at casa.unm.edu and mm-hmm. I'll, I'll spell that out. C-A-S-A-A dot U-N-M dot E-D-U and they can get they can get and look at the different coding instruments that are available there as well. Great. And I just verified that you can uh, on the homepage without having a login, motivationalinterviewing.org, motivationalinterviewing, one word.org. You can see the list of assessment and coding instruments. Wonderful. And probably right. click on and get a description of them and see, see more. As a matter of fact, you get the coding manual when you click on some of them. Mm. You know, to employ what has been referred to as the recency effect, (laughs) I I would like to say as sort of a final statement of this particular conversation is that coding instruments can really be your friend. (laughs) They, they do not have to be uh, used and experienced as something punitive or detrimental. And for anyone who's even curious about them, uh, please check out those resources. And I, I love the way Amy put it earlier, the idea of like, you know what, let the chips fall where they may. And, and let that be your starting place. And the instrument can really point out your strengths and it can point out opportunities for you to grow and focus on as you move into your next conversation. Yeah, and I think it's important to note that you can become a reflective practitioner and know what the, it's like having the test in front of you. What is, am I consistent? These things in the instruments, indicate what's am I consistent. So you have an opportunity to know what you'd be measured on, even though it's most important to get that feedback from a person trained to measure your skills with these Mm -hmm. instruments. You now have an idea of what, what folks would be looking for and what you can continue to focus on and practice yourself. So having a a sense of what the consistencies are Mm. is important. This and listen to your work and assess for yourself. How well are you doing so far? Yeah. And that can really remove the ambiguity or the uh, mystery about sort of what the practice of motivational interviewing actually is. So 
you know, when the next time you're in a training or the next time you're in a conversation with somebody and say, they say to you, you know, are, do you do motivational interviewing? You can totally raise your hand full and high because you know what that would actually, what that actually means and what that actually includes. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, you could verify your and validate your own impression that, you know, you are doing motivational interviewing mm-hmm. verifiably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and not to lose sight of what you said, Amy, that having somebody who knows how to use the mica or the mighty and that they're listening objectively to your tape is, is best, but it doesn't mean you can't use these instruments for your own growth and for your own sort of uh, reflection. Right. It's a good way to end, I think. Yeah. And I really, um, I very much enjoyed this conversation talking with you about these. <laughs> Me too. I wish that I knew a lot about these instruments and navigating the waters of all of this, maybe at the start of things. I don't know why. Mm. Yeah. I mean, when I first started practicing motivational interviewing, I wasn't really aware of these instruments either. And mm-hmm. as, as other people have said, when, when I became aware of them, I was a little bit intimidated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now I, I really see them as a supportive uh, aid to what right. I'm doing. But I think in, in our field, <laughs> behavioral health care in general, even healthcare, being able to verify that you know you're using this instrument the way it's intended can be really powerful in our work. Thank you, Amy. Thanks, Paul. episode 11 of Lions and Tigers and Bears MI. Join us for episode 12 where Amy and Paul examine the value of MI coaching. Cassette Podcast Network. This podcast has been brought to you by the Cassatt Podcast Network, located within the Center for the Application of Substance Abuse Technologies at the University of Nevada, Reno. For more podcasts, information, and resources, visit cassatt.org.